Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. Thanks for listening. This is episode number 37. And this week, we're talking about ride sharing, specifically Uber's decision to merge its China business with rival Didi Shusing. The value of the combined company will be $35 billion, according to people familiar with the matter. And joining us now, the man who broke the news on the terms of the deal, Bloomberg Startups reporter Eric Newcomer, joining us from sunny San Francisco. Actually, I don't really know if it's sunny. Eric, is it it's, sunny there? It, not not yet. <laughs> Hopefully, later today, maybe it'll be sunny. It's it's just waking up over here. Well, it is summer in San Francisco, so I'm sure it's 45 degrees, as always. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> the same temperature as it always is there. No, no, no. I, I love San Francisco. Uh, okay, Eric, let's start here. China is seen as sort of this big growth prospect for so many companies, the elusive Chinese market. So why is Uber giving up there? Investors in Uber had looked at this market forever as, you know, a big big elephant on Uber's back and sort of looked at it very skeptically. You know, I a number of investors I think, you know, always sort of valued China at zero for Uber. It's like, you know, we're investing even though we think this China Odyssey is a bit of um a fool's errand situation. It's always been sort of long odds and and yeah, now now Uber's sort of calling it quits and doing doing this merger slash acquisition, whatever you want to call it, with Didi. Is there a pattern here? Because it's it seems as though these Silicon Valley giants. I mean, I'm thinking about Yahoo and eBay and Google and now Uber. They all seem to want to make it work in China, and they all seemingly fail. What exactly is going on? Yeah, I mean, the guys and girls over at Uber, I think, you know, saw Jeff Bezos in particular at Amazon sort of regretting not making a bigger play for China earlier and, you know, letting Alibaba gain all that territory. And then they, they, they'd seen other tech giants fail fail at China, but I think they still thought that nobody had sort of gone all in like that they could. And so, you know, they they raised, you know, many, many billions of dollars to to spend and lose in China. And so I think, you know, they thought this time it could be different. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a total failure. Uh, Uber Uber's walking away with, you know, less than 20% stake. Uber China, you know, gets 20% stake in Didi here. And so that, that could be meaningful down the road if, you know, someday, uh, you know, Didi is a $100 billion business or something like that. That could be meaningful. You know, I have you know, Uber investors, you know, saying saying that, you know, Didi could be that size business and this this could be sort of an important holding for us. And so if they hadn't tried, they'd have zero. So it's it's not a total failure, but it was definitely, you know, they're 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 walking away. So remind me here, Eric. So Uber China, is that like a subsidiary of Uber or is that a separate company? It's, you know, separately incorporated company, by far the majority shareholder is Uber. I think I forget the exact split, but Uber's probably going to own like 17% of this 20% stake, and Baidu and others are going to have something like 3%. Baidu being the next biggest Uber China shareholder, so it's a separate company meant to sort of bring in some local Chinese investors, try to win some favor with the Chinese government. But it's it's Uber owned, and so the structure of this deal is that. As you say, about twenty percent of it, Uber China. Does that mean the rest, the the other eighty percent, is Didi? Right. Yeah. Basically, you know, you have a seven million dollar valuation company. 
in Uber China, and then you have um, the $28 billion DD. They they say, okay, that combined company is worth $35 billion. Uber owns. Got it. Uh, Uber China owns about 20% of it. Got it. Got it. And 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 at the same time, DD is also making a one billion investment in in big Uber, right? Not Uber right. China, but but the main right. Uber, uh, which values Uber at sixty eight billion dollars. Uh, so so there has been some speculation here, uh, and I'm very curious to get your take on this. That part of the motivation for doing this deal is that it takes away a big overhang question mark for Uber as it prepares for its IPO. Do we know anything about what Uber's plans are in terms of when it may IPO? They, they haven't said anything new. Uh, Travis Kalanick, the CEO, has always been pretty reticent about going public. I don't know if that changes 100%. You know, this was definitely, I think, the biggest stumbling block for an IPO. Uber lost, at, you know, at least $2 billion in China in two years. And a lot of that could have come just this year, you know, like it's it's easy to believe a billion of it came this year or close to it. So Uber, you know, was throwing a lot of money out the door in in China. And so that was certainly going to be a problem for an IPO if they wanted to, to show any sort of mark of, you know, profitability. Eric, do we know sort of the details about why exactly it lost $2 billion in two years? Where was all that money loss coming from? Yeah, there. so... <laughs> I mean, an absurd level of subsidies were, were happening in China. So in the ride-sharing business, you really need drivers to win because, you know, people, you know, you and I who, who are going to ride the service generally want, want it as long as it's priced fairly. But the, the drivers are a hard, hard thing to get. So, you know, both companies would uh, sort of pay, pay the drivers sort of the whole fare, more than the fare even. You know, you had cases where, you know, a driver would have – you know, his wife order him in the app, and that was a sort of money-winning uh, situation. So there was certainly fraud going on. Uh, people argue about the levels. But besides the fraud, there was just like a super high degree of subsidies to grow market share and two fierce, well-capitalized competitors going at it. So it was very expensive, and Uber had a serious disadvantage in that it didn't have, you know, Tencent, uh, Alibaba, you know, Didi's investors – behind it and that that had an impact i see let's let's take even a a further step back here what do we know about the finances of uber in the united states i know you reported earlier this year that uber's profitable right all right so earlier in the year at one point for sure we know uh, uber was profitable in the u.s and canada then uber and lyft went on aggressive uh spending war and we haven't seen clear numbers yet i don't think Uber has even reported out its Q2 numbers to investors, so haven't even been able to try and report that one out yet. But earlier in the year, Uber, I'm sure, was profitable, sort of discounting, you know, equity, and I think there there, there was another, but, you know, EBIT profitable, I think it was, um, in the U.S. and Canada. And then, you know, the company has a huge war chest. I think now with the, you know DD's investing this one billion dollars in Uber Global, back of the envelope, I think they must have twelve billion in cash and equity on hand still. So they they still have a they have a ton of money. And remind us exactly how Uber makes money. So do yeah. they simply make money by taking a percentage cut on every ride, or is it more than that? Yeah, it's you know they take 
ideally 20 to 25 percent of every ride. I mean, in its ideal form, Uber is a beautiful business. You don't have to own, you know, the capital costs are low. You don't own any of these cars. Uh, you know, the drivers come and go. You just take, you know, 20, 25 percent of the fares. And so, you know, it seems like how, how, how could this be a money losing business? And the reason is because it's so competitive, the subsidies just get very, very aggressive. And to grow the business, you know, Uber, Lyft, DD, all of them have been at times, you know, giving something away that's, you know, worth $2 for a dollar. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but that's certainly something I would, I would purchase. So, so there's just been heavy, heavy subsidies, but the, the path to margins is pretty clear. You know, you just charge a, a reasonable fare and then take, you know, 20, 25% of that. And that's, that's how Uber makes its money. You mentioned Uber's big war chest and the fact that Didi is now uh, an investor in Uber. Uh, also, indirectly, Apple becomes an investor in Uber, right? right? Because Apple invested a billion dollars in Didi. Do we have any yeah. sense or have you heard anything at all, Eric, on what Apple's plans are in the ride-sharing world? I mean, are they just going to be a passive investor here? Certainly, there have been stories written about Apple hiring people that are sort of in the uh, you know, general automotive industry, if not the ride-sharing industry, particularly to work on autonomous driving and other unknown potential ideas or products. Do you think it's only a matter of time before Apple gets into ride-sharing or maybe even car manufacturing? Yeah, I, I think it's something, you know, we've we've all been watching. Uh, it feels like forever uh, there's been, you know, a rumor of an Apple car. And certainly people at Apple are working on it and thinking about it seriously, but it's, you know, one of those things where we'll just sort of have to see see what they come up with. I think, you know, the billion dollar in Didi, you could almost, I think the consensus, at least in Silicon Valley, has been that, you know, is a way to win fi- favor with the Chinese government almost more than any sort of, you know, strategic investment. Certainly sort of a good industry given Apple's interest to build a relationship with. But, you know, this was an investment in Didi, not Uber, and probably had to do with Apple's strong desire to keep selling, you know, a lot of phones in in the Chinese market and sort of building relationships there. But it's a helpful strategic alliance to have. I think the pass through sort of investment in Uber is, you know, very, very small. I mean, even if you think about it, just sort of back of the envelope, Didi's investment in Uber can't, it's got to give it like one 65th of the company somebody was estimating just based on how much money it's it's raised so it's it's not a huge owner uh dd is taking a board seat their ceo chung Wei is taking a board seat but for dd's mini and very complicated set of investor base i don't think this gives them sort of that much direct exposure to uber you mentioned lyft there is also there are other smaller ride-sharing companies there's ola which has like a five billion dollar valuation right Lyft has like a five and a half billion dollar valuation. I think yep. Grab Taxi is another one, right, with a valuation yep. of more than a billion dollars or so. Am I missing any others? Those are the big players. Um, you know, there's Get that's now competing in the U.S. There's Via, Juno, but those those are the ones I tend to think about. So Ola in India, Grab in Southeast Asia, and of course Lyft here in the United States. So, you know, that's a decent amount of, of companies that are getting into this business. And for sure, some of them right now are geographically specific. But depending on the region, uh, you know, there's already built-in competition with, you know, all other forms of transportation, which I would say are competitors. 
Do we have any sense on how this deal, this Uber DD deal, affects any of the smaller guys? Uh, I think it's got to be bad news for them. I mean, if Uber has, you know, fifteen billion dollars, or, or sorry, I think we were saying twelve. You know, that's that's a lot of money now to redirect to the rest of the world, and I don't think their global ambitions have uh, fallen off here. You know, I think, you know, Ola and Grab and even Lyft, I'm sure, are thinking, okay, now there's more money to spend sort of in any sort of price war with me. At the same time, it does show that Uber is probably ready to start moving towards profitability. And so I guess if if the departure from China shows a mentality shift there, that that could be good news for its competitors because I think – you know, everybody sort of wants to see, especially if you have less money than Uber, want to see uh, a situation where Uber is trying to make a profit, and then you can either try to grow market share as the underdog or try and see if, you know, duopolies actually work in this business. I, that's, it's amazing that, you know, I, I think Uber's been around, I'm going to get the number along, wrong, but I think seven years now, and um, we still don't really know if it's a duopoly business or it's a monopoly business. For sure. I mean, China's one one point, but I mean, we certainly have Lyft and Uber still still fighting an unresolved war here in the United States, and I think it's an open question. And we should mention that Lyft has hired Catalyst, which is a technology investment bank, to potentially field acquisition offers. So for sure, uh, right. it, it is possible that Lyft may not exist as an independent company in the not-too-distant future uh, if, if they agree on you know, another deal, which I'm sure will feature in a later episode uh, of Deal of the Week. I mean, that's that's one of the big open questions in my mind, what happens with Lyft. You know, I'd reported that they've promised investors that they would lose no more than $50 million a month. You know, that would put them at $600 million over the year. That's a very aggressive burn rate. You know, the Wall, the Wall Street Journal reported, I think, yesterday that Lyft has uh, $1.4 billion cash on hand, which seemed, it seems like a lot, but, you know, possible. They've raised like $2 billion in their history. It is a money-losing business. I mean, Lyft, Lyft is smaller, so it's <laughs> burning less than Uber is globally, but in the United States, Lyft is burning, you know, it's only, Lyft's only market, it is burning a lot of money. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if it gets acquired and, you know, is a company, you know, GM is a you know, cut a $500 million check and lift, will GM, you know, take on those losses and take that risk is a, is a very interesting question. One more question for you, Eric, before we go. Uh, any, do we have any sense if Didi will expand outside of China? Yeah, I think that's the right question to be asking. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I keep asking, was there any sort of territory agreement? I think you have to expect that Didi will eventually, you know, leave China. But, you know, before this deal with Uber, they'd had a, this, you know, global alliance, much, much celebrated in the media with Ola, Grab, and Lyft, which would have seemed to say, okay, it's all local players focusing on our markets, you know, but, but now Didi's cutting a deal with Uber. So I think that that relationship is clearly in flux. And Lyft has said they're evaluating their relationship with Didi. So I think it's a matter matter of time. On the other hand, I mean, both Uber and Didi, you know, recognize this, you know, the China, China market's huge. It's, I think it was six of 10 Uber's biggest cities at one point by trip volume. So in terms of the scale of the business, or at least the scale of the demand, uh, sort of 
putting aside the the profitability it's it's huge so i think that's a pretty big project for for dd to focus on for the time being ride sharing wars uh or maybe friendships i don't know depends on your take i guess uh eric yeah. newcomer bloomberg startups reporter uh and really our man on all things uber and dd etc thanks for joining us thanks thanks for having me appreciate it so that's it for this week's episode. You can expect more Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are doing deals real time. Coming up next week, we have a great show with the man who is selling Gawker, Mark Patrikoff uh, of Houlihan Loki. That should be an interesting episode. We'll talk to him about that deal process. And also, uh, he just has lived an in- interesting life. Uh, he's the son of Alan Patrikoff. We'll talk to him about why he got into media investment banking. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. And also take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. And please follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. And Eric Newcomer is at Eric Newcomer, spelled E-R-I-C-N-E-W-C-O-M-E-R. See you next week.